Hi, this is Brent White, and welcome back to my podcast. I got to preach last Sunday uh, for the first time in a while, and I'm going to be preaching regularly again, so I will be updating my podcast with sermons each week, um, and then throw in some other podcasts while I'm at it. But I preached last Sunday on May 5th at the Livonia United Methodist Church. I'm going to be there for the next seven weeks. And then at the end of June, toward the end of June, I'm going to become the pastor of Tacoa First United Methodist Church in Tacoa, Georgia. I preached last Sunday um, the first sermon of a series from Luke's Gospel. And I began with Luke chapter 5, verses 17 to 26, which I'm going to read right now. On one of those days, as he was teaching, Pharisees and teachers of the law were sitting there who had come from every village of Galilee and Judea and from Jerusalem. And the power of the Lord was with him to heal. And behold, some men were bringing on a bed a man who was paralyzed, and they were seeking to bring him in and lay him before Jesus. But finding no way to bring him in because of the crowd, they went up on the roof and let him down with his bed through the tiles into the midst before Jesus. And when he saw their faith, he said, Man, your sins are forgiven you. And the scribes and the Pharisees began to question, saying, Who is this who speaks blasphemies? Who can forgive sins but God alone? When Jesus perceived their thoughts, he answered them, Why do you question in your hearts? Which is easier, to say your sins are forgiven you, or to say rise and walk? But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, He said to the man who was paralyzed, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed and go home. And immediately he rose before them and picked up what he had been lying on and went home, glorifying God. And amazement seized them all, and they glorified God and were filled with awe, saying, we have seen extraordinary things today. Just last week, I was listening to a podcast from the Gospel Coalition, which is an evangelical Christian ministry, and they were interviewing David Brooks. He is a columnist. He's been one for many years with the New York Times. He's a best-selling author. You'll often see him on TV around election time talking about something political. He grew up in a secular Jewish family. And for most of his adult life, he identified as either an atheist or at least agnostic until recently. Because recently, he experienced a conversion to Christianity. And in this interview, he experienced his life before Christ. And he said that he first began to figure out that he had a profound spiritual problem about 15 or 20 years ago. He had a profound spiritual problem, he said, when his dreams came true, when he satisfied what he believed was was the deepest longing of his heart, when he wrote and published his first New York Times best-selling book. 
And his publisher called him one day, excited to tell him that he was going to have the number one book in the country. I mean, this is something that all writers dream of, right? I mean, you want to have a book on top of the bestseller list. And David Brooks thought in his younger life, if only I could write a best-selling book, my life would be dramatically better. All of my problems would be solved. I could be at last happy and filled with joy. And the publisher called him to tell him this exciting news. His dream was going to come true. And guess what? He said he felt completely empty. Writing a best-selling book did not bring him happiness and joy and peace and contentment. It did not fulfill the longing in his soul. It did not make his life become dramatically better. He was sure that it would. If only he could achieve this thing. And yet it ended up not changing him. He needed something more. He needed something else. He needed someone else. And of course we know who that someone is, right? So he found Jesus. I believe in today's scripture that the paralytic and his friends who were so anxious to get this man to Jesus where he can be physically healed, I believe that they have something in common with David Brooks. I believe that like Brooks, they had an if-only condition. Like, for example, I think that that paralytic said in his heart before encountering Jesus, if only I could walk, if only I didn't have this disease, if only I didn't have this physical infirmity, then I could really become the person I want to become. Then I could really do what I've always wanted to do. Then I would be fulfilled. Then I would know happiness and joy and peace and contentment. And I'm sure his friends felt similar. If only. So you can imagine how they must have felt in verse 20. Look at verse 20. Look at what it says. And when he saw their faith, that's Jesus. When Jesus saw the faith of the friends and the the paralyzed man that they're carrying. He said, man, your sins are forgiven you. Wait, your your sins are forgiven you. Do, Do you think that that was why these friends went to all this trouble? To, to, to get to climb on a roof because the house was at capacity, was spilling out into the street. You think they went to the trouble of, of, of hauling this man's bed on top of the roof and walking over to the, the place on the roof above where Jesus was teaching and literally breaking a hole in the roof and lowering the man down there. Did they go to all this trouble so that Jesus could heal, could, could forgive Uh, this man's sins? I mean, I wouldn't blame the friends if they said to Jesus, look, Jesus, I I think you misunderstand. 
We, isn't it clear to you and to everyone else in this room that, 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 that what our friend here really needs is a practical, tangible, down-to-earth, empirically verifiable, physical miracle. We need you to enable him to walk again. That is his biggest, most important, most urgent need. I mean, don't you get that, Jesus? Well, Jesus apparently didn't. Because Jesus understood that the man's biggest most important, most urgent need was not a physical healing, but was a spiritual healing. What about us? Well, I suspect that most of us, like David Brooks, like these friends and the paralytic, I suspect that we all have, a, have an if-only in our minds somewhere, you know? If only I could get that. If only this would have happened to me, or if only this does happen to me, or if only that bad thing didn't happen to me, then I'd really be living. Then I could really be happy. Then my dreams could come true. Then I could become the the person that I want to become. If only, if only, if only, maybe... Your if only sounds something like this. If only I had gotten that promotion at work. If only I could meet that person of my dreams. If only I had married the right person. If only I hadn't gotten sick. If only I had been able to go to college. Or if only I'd been able to get into the right college. If only my business hadn't failed. If only I hadn't lost my job. If only I hadn't gotten divorced. If only I'd been able to have children. If only my parents had money growing up, then I would have had more advantages and more opportunities. If only I could lose 15 pounds. Some of you are laughing, you know, um, I haven't had an occasion recently to have to wear suits. And here's the darndest thing I've discovered. When you hang your suits in the closet, you don't wear them for a while. They tend to shrink. Have you noticed this? You know. And so I had to go to a seamstress to get some suits altered. And um, this, this seamstress, this wonderful Korean woman looked at me as if to say, I'm not a miracle worker. (laughs) If only the district superintendent and the bishop would notice how wonderful I am and then I would get appointed to that church with the tall steeple in the big city where everyone would tell me how great I am. Okay, maybe that's just applicable to us pastors. I don't know. We We have if onlys in our life too. But consider this. Suppose that Jesus had given the paralytic and his friends exactly what they wanted when they wanted it. In other words, 
Suppose there wasn't the forgiveness of sins and the spiritual healing part. Suppose that he had just healed the man physically and sent him on his way. I am quite confident that that man and his friends would have walked away very happy. They would have walked away elated. They would have walked away relieved because they got there if only, right? It came true. And they would have been so happy until tomorrow or next week or next month. Because have you noticed this truth? <clears throat> when your if only comes true, there's going to be another if only that's going to take its place. It happens every time. The good news is Jesus knows that what we really need is not some short-term solution to an immediate problem. What we really need is a saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ and his atoning work on the cross. What we really need is spiritual healing. What we really need is this abundant life that Jesus Christ makes available to us. What we really need is for Jesus to give us his own spirit to live inside us and give us power and comfort us and and reassure us and give us strength and give us the ability to to have an ongoing daily personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If we have Jesus, because Jesus is what we really need. If we have Jesus, then we can handle anything that the world or the devil throws our way. We can even learn to handle bad stuff. Like, for example, not being able to walk. And you might say, not so fast, Pastor Brent, because you're talking like Jesus didn't really, you know, perform this physical miracle. The fact of the matter is Jesus did enable this paralytic to walk. And that's true. But look at verse 24. I'm a big fan of people bringing their own Bibles to church. I know we have few Bibles, but if you have your own Bible, Bring it to church and write in it. You can take notes. You can mark it up. You can underline. It's wonderful. That's what I do. But look at verse 24. It is clear from this scripture that Jesus was not planning on healing this man physically. In fact, Jesus seemed perfectly content to simply heal him spiritually. And he only heals the man physically because these Pharisees are questioning in their hearts whether or not Jesus has the power and the authority to actually forgive sins. In other words, he heals the man in the end physically to prove that he has the power to heal the man spiritually. And we can see that here. Um, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. Because it's infinitely better to be, it's infinitely better to be unable to walk and have Jesus 
than to be physically healthy and not have him. Amen? It's infinitely better to be sick and have Jesus than to be healthy and not have him. You know, I mean, our life on this side of eternity, our life on this side of heaven or hell is just the smallest blip. Even if we live a good long time, we live to be 118, whatever the world record is. That's just the merest blip in light of eternity. So of course, of course, this kind of spiritual healing is infinitely more valuable than the longest life on this side of heaven. But it's not... It's not simply that what Jesus offers us is a life after death, which, of course, we get that, and that is absolutely wonderful. It's that he gives us a better quality of life than we could ever possibly have without him. And we see this illustrated most dramatically in the life of the Apostle Paul. So if you have your Bibles, um, please turn with me. I want to show you this. Um, turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. I'm starting somewhere around verse 23. Paul is describing some of the suffering that he's encountered as a consequence of his answering the call to be faithful to his Lord Jesus. Here's just some of the things that Paul has experienced because he's chosen to be a Christian. Listen, he says that he's had, uh, he's worked harder than nearly anyone. He's had more imprisonments with countless beatings and often near death. Five times I received at the hands of the Jews the 40 lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. A night and a day I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, danger from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers, in toil and hardship through many a sleepless night, in hunger and thirst, often without food, in cold and exposure, etc. Now, that's a lot of suffering. That's a lot of pain. That's a lot of bad stuff to endure. Turn a couple of letters over to Philippians chapter 3. And Paul talks about his life before Jesus and his life after Jesus. And listen to what he says, starting in verse 7. But whatever gain I had... I count it as loss for the sake of Christ. Indeed, I count everything as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things, and I count them as rubbish, as garbage, in order that I may be, that I may gain Christ and be found in him. Do you you see what he's saying? Do you see what he... He's saying that his life today, even though Paul, Paul had everything a young Jewish man could want before he became a Christian, everything that a, a young Jewish, faithful Jewish man would value 
before he became a Christian, and he lost it all. He lost everything. Financially, in terms of his reputation, and not to mention all the suffering and trouble that came his way, which we just read about. So he lost everything, but he says in comparison to what he's gained in Christ, including all the beatings and shipwrecks and being stoned and left for dead and uh, being hungry and thirsty and naked, he's saying it was all, it's all totally worth it. In other words, Everything he's having to endure right now is totally worth it. Because why? Because he has Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ is everything. And Jesus Christ is giving him everything he could possibly want. Jesus Christ is giving him the grace that satisfies the deepest longing of his soul. He'll take the bad stuff. Thank you very much. If in exchange for that, he gets Jesus. There is no if only For the Apostle Paul, because he's got everything and all the suffering besides that. He's got everything. And Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, I hope you know this, but it's possible some of you don't. I am telling you, Jesus Christ wants to give you everything that your heart desires. If you have some, if only in your heart that you're holding on to. And you're thinking, I can't be all that I want to be because of this thing that's holding me back. No, that's simply not true. The devil is lying to you because God's word is telling us today. Jesus is telling us, I've got everything you need. I want to be enough for you. Let me be enough for you. I will satisfy you. I will give you lasting happiness. I will give you joy. Is Jesus enough for you? I I pray that he is. One more thing. Let me turn back to the scripture now in Luke chapter 5. There's a really interesting question Jesus asks. Verse 23, which is easier to say your sins are forgiven you or to say rise and walk? Which is easier? Congregation, which is easier to say? Okay, raise your hand. Is it easier to say rise and walk or your sins are forgiven? Who votes rise and walk? Nobody? Okay, we need to talk about this then. I thought that was going to be your answer. Because you see, uh, of course, that's the answer Jesus expects. Why? Well, you can, I mean, I can say, Lisa, your sins are forgiven. And none of you would be able to prove it one way or another, right? If I heal, if I had the power to heal someone spiritually, that's invisible. But if... Someone is unable to walk and I say, rise, you get up and walk and take your bed and go home. Well, I can, you can prove whether or not that happens, right? So I get it. There's a sense in which it's much easier to say um, your sins are forgiven. But I want you to consider this. It is not hard for God to perform 
a physical miracle. It is not hard for Jesus, who is God, God in the flesh, second person of the Trinity, to perform a physical healing. That's really no sweat at all. He, that's just, I mean, the God who created the universe and everything in it, including our lives, he can handle a little miracle here and there. That's not a problem. In fact, I often wonder why um, Christians, I mean, I, I get it. I don't mean to be flippant, but Christians sometimes struggle to believe the miracles of the Bible. And I wonder why. God created the universe and everything in it. Why is it hard to believe that God could keep a man alive for three days inside a big fish? God can handle that. That's really no big deal. Um, He's already done much bigger deals than that, but that's beside the point. Um, So it's really quite easy um, for Jesus to say, you know, for Jesus to perform a miracle because Jesus is God. You know what's not easy? Sweating drops of blood in the Garden of Gethsemane, saying, if possible, Father, take this cup from me, but not my will, but yours be done. What's not easy is being mocked and whipped, beaten, ridiculed. What's not easy is having nails nailed into your hands and in your feet. What's not easy is hanging on a cross and for the first time in your life, indeed for the first time in eternity, when you say, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Experiencing nothing less than separation from your father, which is literal hell on the cross. What's not easy is dying on that cross, having paid the penalty for everyone's sins. That's what Jesus did to forgive the paralytic, to make forgiveness available to each one of us. Just like Paul, could look back on his suffering and say, you know what, absolutely worth it. So Jesus, imagine this, imagine asking Jesus this question when you see him in eternity. Jesus, was, was it worth, was it worth all that suffering, all that pain? Was it worth suffering hell itself <laughs> so that you could have me with you? In paradise eternally? Was it was it was I worth it? Jesus would say, You were absolutely worth it. Amen. Yeah.